it's going to get even harder for first home buyers to break into the market. But that shouldn't stop you. Today, we explore what you can do to overcome five of the biggest challenges. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan, and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, how to buy your first home with the right amount of debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, your first home buyer guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get in the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about overcoming the challenges of being a first home buyer in a rising market and specifically five reasons you should not give up. But before we get into that, uh, special house behind you this week, Megan, it looks like a hopper in a mine, perhaps. Is that again, I've hoppers been in mines? <laughs> delving into the oh my God category of Airbnb. This is the funnel. Yes, it is, in fact, a funnel, Veronica. It's in Harlingen in the Netherlands. So this actually overlooks the water. Um, it's a tidal area and apparently incredibly romantic. I don't see it myself. No. <laughs> so if anyone's watching the video, tune in. Uh, let us know if you agree this does not look like a very not romantic. sure that's where I'd uh, like a proposal or, or any such thing. No. no. Anyway, just, just put it out there. Places. Put that there right now. We don't want it. All right. According to the ANZ CoreLogic Housing Affordability Report, sounds very officious, doesn't it? It's going to get even harder for first home buyers to break into the market. Oh, seriously. Isn't it hard enough already? I know. I know. But you know what? It should not stop you. And you know, we've got to remember our press loves scare tactics, loves negative headlines, and these reports sort of make things worse. So today we're going to explore what those challenges are and look at some tips on how to overcome them. I love it. And here's our top five, Veronica. And as as you say, this is based on the ANZ Core Logic Housing Affordability Report. Now, this is a regularly pr produced report. Some things are going to be the same over and over and over again because the number one challenge, the first challenge, is the time that it takes to save a deposit. Now, uh, the report says that property prices are expected to keep rising as interest rates stay on hold. They could increase faster once interest rates start to come down next year. Now, that makes sense because money becomes a little bit easier to come by. But what that means is first home buyers would need to save a bigger deposit 
which could actually take longer. Yeah. Now, it's like, I don't know, it already takes, say in Sydney, it's apparently like 12 years to save a deposit. I mean, I don't know, what's another six months when it takes you 12 years? I mean, well, that's all right if the market's going backwards, but we're talking about the fact that this report is saying that, you know, prices and and you and I are, are starting to see prices are rising again. We're seeing 3 to 4% um, people paying above what we would assess as market value. And if you've done the free mini course, how to price a property, you know what market value is, market appraisal is, and how to determine it. So when, you know, we're here we are, we're in September 2023, and prices again starting to go up mm-hmm. at a moderate pace. So I guess what I make light of that to say, what's the difference, what's another six months when it's already taking you 12 years, is the fact is that this is, yes, prices uh, look like they're on the rise again, this is not a new situation. It's always been shit, you know? So this is just more shit, right? It's just a different decade. A different decade, a different serving of shit. So so in terms of first home buyers, and what, we, what we're trying to say here is don't let this noise that this that sort of thing creates turn you off your goal of buying a home. It's worthwhile persisting, right? And so I guess the big question, what can you do about this, is looking at how can you get in with a smaller deposit. So this is going to be a fact of, is this a fact of the matter? And we hate, we, what we're always telling people to do is don't fight reality. You know, yeah. this <laughs> is. Do you remember we had a student, Veronica, and I know that I've talked about him a lot, but we had, we had a student who he was waging a one-man war against the property market. Every time we had a live Q&A with him, he would say, I just can't believe that you've got to pay that much to buy that property. I refuse. And remember, we like, yeah, we just we ended up saying, you know what, suck it up. It just is what it is. You can't fight it. And it was almost like this switch went, and he went, all right. Well, I've just got to go with what it is and deal with it and work with it. And they bought. They did. Once he got over the fight. Yeah, the sense of relief he had too. I think that was the most amazing thing. It's like, oh my God, I've just like, I've let go and now I'm going to go and buy my family a home, you know? And his wife, I think it saved his marriage too, just quietly. I think his wife was going a bit nuts. <laughs> she did lament it sometimes. So let's let's talk about what the options are here because, um, you know, there there is a lot of chatter out there and you might hear it in the noise that, that is around you when you're a first-time buyer where people say to you, you have to buy you have to save 20% so that you avoid LMI. Now, Veronica and I are big believers that you explore all of your options. Don't just listen to what someone else says to you because personally, I used LMI to get into my second property, not even my first property, my second property, because the market was moving so quickly. I couldn't outsave it. I couldn't save enough to keep up with how much prices were rising. So it was worth um, actually looking at. And, and it's something that you can explore as a way to get in with a lower deposit. Now, we have done an episode on this recently. So, look at the back um, only probably the last couple of months. But the thing is, what is LMI? It's lender's mortgage insurance and it's an added cost. And I think that's what freaks people out. It's like, God, isn't it hard enough? I mean, we have people who don't even want to pay nine ninety to do our course, even though <laughs> we can actually save way more than nine ninety and in the in negotiation just by knowing how knowing this stuff right but but so i get it we totally get 
that when you're saving your deposit, every cent just seems so precious and you don't want to part with it. But certainly if you if there is a case for getting into the market earlier and saving on rising prices and the small price of that is uh, lenders paying lenders mortgage insurance, then it's worthwhile considering. And that's something to talk to your broker about. And it's something that is very step one in our 10-step process that we teach people about how to buy properties to get your support crew in place. And if you have a really good broker on board who is prepared to advise you even before you think you're ready to buy and before you think you've got enough money, then you get that advice and you might find you can get into the market sooner. So that's the first suggestion. The second is your parents could go guarantor. Depending on their situation. Well, that's exactly right. And we're not saying you should do any of these things. We're saying you might want to investigate them. Yes. Um, and it's not an option for everybody. And of course, if you're one of those people who's saying, well, that's all well and good. My parents don't even own a property. Then that's that sucks. It totally sucks. And it's not an option for you. Also, it's, a, you know, I mean, often people look at the parents that they weren't able to have a property and they have gone into retirement by uh, still renting you know, that's a good motivator for some people to actually get into the property market because you can see how tough it can be. And another one, which I'm starting to hear about more and more, I don't know if you've heard this one, Megan, is grandparents prepaying inheritance. They're figuring that, the, you know, things are tough and they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to help my grandkids out now while I'm still alive. So this is starting to be a thing. Yeah, look, and if this is a case where where um, grandparents can help in in helping build a, a good deposit or, or fill in some gaps there, there's a lot to explore here on both sides. Um, so again, we're just saying look at the options and explore the pros and cons and the risks and so forth. There are some tax implications, so definitely get some really good accounting advice. Um, there could be Centrelink implications, there could be um, pension implications, like lots and lots of things need to be taken into account there. It may be that this is all round a good decision. It may be that it is just actually the wrong thing to do. So um, just explore it. Talk to the people who know. Don't talk to your friends about these sorts of things. Get advice talk to from the advisors. The <laughs> and if you do go down this, this path, you also need legal advice to make sure that um, all the agreements are in place. Now, is it a gift? Is it a loan? These sorts of things are really important. If your parents are a guarantor or they're giving you a gift or your grandparents are prepaying in inheritance. Um, so lots of things to, to think about. Also, let's face it, not everybody has grandparents that can prepay inheritance or parents that can go guarantor. And that's where the federal government has been stepping in. And some state governments, Victoria has uh, what's called a shared equity scheme. Uh, there's also the federal government's 5% deposit scheme. So if you can get a place with that, that obviously gets you in with a smaller deposit, but you also are borrowing a lot more money. So therefore your payments are going to be higher. But the shared equity schemes are where the government or there's actually um, there's a private equity, a private equity firm. shared equity scheme that has just been launched actually, I think, with Longview. We should get them on to talk about that. Um, so there, there are more of those things that are coming um, out. And obviously, each one needs to be investigated very thoroughly because you want to make sure what the conditions are and, you know, what where you might no longer be uh, eligible for it and the repayments and what happens when you sell and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's quite a lot 
involved, but they are a great way of helping people get into the property market sooner, but also potentially into a bigger property, which might serve them longer. So there's lots of reasons why it's worth exploring. Uh, I'd be very careful, however, about some of these deposit schemes that are being offered to help you buy brand new. Some of them are being funded by developers. Yes, yeah, some of them are funded by developers just to help you buy their stock. So be very careful about that. But these are all options that you could start investigating that might help you get into the market sooner rather than have to save for longer for deposit because prices are rising. Yeah. Now, the second challenge uh, is the rising cost of living. And this is hitting everybody. This is not just a first home buyer challenge. It is a, certainly an Australia-wide challenge, but you know it, we, we are seeing uh, a lot of this happening across the globe as well. So uh, what the report said was taking inflation into account, real incomes fell through the June quarter, meaning there was less leftover for servicing housing costs after other ne- necessary expenditures like energy bills and groceries were taken into account. This is tough stuff for everybody because you need to get from A to B in a lot of cases. Yeah, this is really tough stuff. I mean, and, you know, we all notice it when we go to the supermarket. Although, lately, I've actually noticed prices coming down of fresh fruit and vegetables. But that's, you know, by the by. That's positive. That is a positive. And obviously, you know, with less floods and things like that, then more food can get um, harvested and then sent to the supermarkets and the grocery stores. Anyway, beside all that, one of the things about this sort of macro data about all the real incomes, et cetera, et cetera, and what that is is basically that, you know, even if incomes rise, if inflation rises more than incomes rise, then in reality, in terms of your spending power, it uh, your incomes have, have fallen. So that's where real incomes are as opposed to um, incomes, right? So it's all a bit complicated when you get into all this sort of stuff and everything has to be measured according to inflation. Interestingly enough, there are the different segments of the market out there that are more or less affected by these things. I mean, if your income is fixed and there's no chance of of any progress with that, no chance of promotions, no chance of pay rises outside of um, CPI, then that is going to impact on you more than if you are at the beginning of your career and you're only at the beginning of your earning power. So it's one thing that first home buyers often have to think about, depending on where you are in your life stage, is that sometimes the horizon for you as an individual, forgetting the buying the home for a moment, sometimes the, the horizon for you in terms of your earnings is actually better and rosier than people at different uh, stages of their, of their lives. So I'm just wanting to sort of put it out there that a lot of these reports come out, they're big numbers, they're scary numbers but they don't actually impact everybody equally. So I think that that's just something to keep an eye on, to think, you know, actually, does that really impact me in the same way it might impact somebody else? And while you're before you're a homeowner, while you're in that saving phase, you might be actually better off than a lot of people, uh, than a lot of other people. So I guess keeping that positive mindset and just remembering that, that it, it isn't all terrible and sometimes some people are better off than others. Yeah, yeah, and and there are things that you can do to um, pull your belt in a little bit. I've certainly done it. I'm sure that you've done it, Veronica, whether it's just choosing a different cut of meat or a different type of meal plan for the week. Um, There are times where I think, yep, I've got to really pull it in this week because there are other expenses that I know that are coming up, whether that's uh, the power bills coming in, the gas bills coming in, the 
insurance is 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 due, um, whatever those things are. So it's it's looking across the board when you're looking to overcome this kind of challenge and saying, okay, where can I juggle this, and and where is my little splurge pot so I can still have a a, you know, a, a little splurge every now and then. Um, you know, my kids love the Barefoot Investor book because it teaches you about how to kind of allocate your money so that you know that the bills are paid and you've got a little bit of money to spend over here if you need to. So, so having a good budgeting plan is really good to help overcome some of these cost of living pressures that we're, we're seeing. And do you know, I actually think that millennials and Gen Zs are a lot more entrepreneurial, if you want to call it that, or a lot more um, creative around this whole area than, than we Gen Xs. I actually think, I think that, so, yeah. Yeah, so you guys could probably teach us something. And in fact, let's put it out there. If anyone has a really great ideas on on living more efficiently and economically and thinking in the context of the environment as well. I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, choosing a cheaper cut of meat. I've actually chosen to eat a hell of a lot less meat. And actually, it's mostly, it's not so much cost of living, but clearly it's, it, it does have a positive impact on that. But that's actually because of the impact on the environment of um, the way in which we create meat for human consumption. So that's another topic again. But if anyone's got a creative a creative bent on this or a particular area that, that this is your area of expertise, why not do an episode? I think that'd be quite cool. Anyway, well, let's, this does lead into the third challenge, which is once you get the debt, right, co- rising cost of living um, and fall in real wages means, and also rising house prices means that there is a third challenge, which is servicing the debt. Right. Yeah, nationwide homeowners now have to spend, according to the report, 45.5% of their income to pay a mortgage on an average home. Now that's up forty up from forty two point seven percent in the March quarter. So people are paying more of their income to service their mortgage. Now, and that is across every single um, capital city. And but interestingly enough, in the report, and we'll put a um, a link to one of the news artic- articles about this. Um, you can actually see there's a chart in there that the proportion of income needed to service a new mortgage. Now, as I mentioned before, that with all this macro data that, that's put out about Australia, there is lot. there are lots of micro markets within Australia. And, and if you compare, and we're not saying go to Darwin, we are not, but in Darwin, because Darwin is a shocker of a property market, but in Darwin, for instance, that percentage of the income needed to service a new mortgage is 24.8%. That's the lowest. And then it goes right up to in Sydney, shock of shocks and probably no great surprise, 56.7%. And it does vary across the country. I mean, Canberra, which is also a very expensive city in terms of property prices, that's only 38.3. So that just shows that they've got really high incomes. High incomes in relation to the property prices. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's good to dig into this and really understand that it looks different wherever you live. Yeah, and look to overcome some of these challenges or to to face these challenges when you become a homeowner is – to, to think about things like moving to a different location, maybe exploring a, a, a lower-priced property that still meets your needs and is a good quality property, um, that's an option to consider. But you've got to make sure, of course, that it's going to meet your needs for the longer term because you don't want to be moving from one property, you're trying to property hop, um, chasing your dream location in short time periods. That stepping stone strategy is a long-term strategy, not a short-term term one. Absolutely. 
we've had a number of students that were looking sort of in suburban areas and decided to to move to regional areas, but they they were careful to not move too far away from a major uh, employment centre. Um, you know, and also looking at areas that have provided great schooling and lots of lots of um, uh, community feel was important for for some of those people, wasn't it? And activities, you know, sporting activities, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that that is an option and there's something to consider as the big part of the bigger picture is moving to a cheaper location. Uh, something to, you know, I was reading a, a report on this recently about getting pay rises. Apparently men are much better at getting it than women. Um, so, because they ask, apparently. Well report, yeah, well, they're, they're more inclined to, to, to ask the question. I, I think that's changing with time, but, you know, it is something that um, even um, – when I was younger, uh, to discover there was disparity between what I was paid and someone doing the same job as me when I was in corporate was an absolute shock to me. And and for a colleague to turn around and go, well, did you ask? It's like, I did not. Well, we sort of <laughs> yeah, think, it was quite an eye-opener. If we do well, people should just offer it to us. Should, should they? offer it to but us. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's watching us probably as careful as watching ourselves. So, you know, sometimes... You know, it, it might sound trite, it might sound we're being very glib here. Go and get a pay rise. We're not trying to sound glib, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. It is really... it time? Is it due? And is it justified? You know, Are they're you the things it? that I was, I was taught um, when you're looking at, um, at, at pay. Yeah. Uh, the other option is, you know, Veronica, you mentioned it before. Get a second job or a side hustle. Now, another way to, to generate income is a way to, to deal with this disparity between income and rising cost of, of ownership and mortgages um, and that that is an, an option uh, you and I don't just have one job we we have a number of we sources do. <laughs> um, and, and companies um, and, and ways of, of generating income and I know that um, some of the people that work for me they don't just have one source of income they they are interested and, and I guess that's that entrepreneurial spirit that you mentioned earlier there is an interest, not just a, a, a an imperative, an interest in in different ways of generating income. Now, we're obviously not suggesting that you go and take two jobs and just forever have two jobs. What we're talking about here is getting yourself in a position where you can afford a mortgage. And we know from experience, we also know from working with our clients, that the, the pain when you first get a mortgage and you're getting used to all that does ease over time and also you know that rates will fall at some point so sometimes you have to take some pain and you get some equity you might have some options so so we're not saying if this is going to be your life forever this is what you have to do but sometimes it's a good idea to get yourself over a hump is to take a second job for a while and likewise two incomes are better than one so I know this sounds might you, you might howl me down for saying this, Megan. I don't know. Maybe our listeners will. But if you are thinking about having a child and you have the option just to put it off an extra year or two years, so that you can and you can see there's light at the end of the tunnel, you can see that there's a potential for buying a home. But if you have a child and, and one of you comes out of the working, you know, the the uh, paid work for a period of time, and that is going to set back your dreams of owning a home maybe another five years, then just consider taking the short pain in terms of not having a child straight up, getting the home, then having the child. So I'm just saying think about it in that order rather than Again, doing it's an it the option other way around. as opposed to a recommendation. It's not a lifestyle imperative for me, no. <laughs> yeah. Um and that, you know, it is it is easier to it is easier. 
it is a different process if you're looking to have a child and then going to get a mortgage afterwards than it is to have a mortgage and have a child. So just think that through when you're thinking about where are you in your life phases and and where does that fit in? Because when a bank looks at you as a single income versus two incomes, if you are in a partnership, um, then your your income together is more favourable than your income if there's only one of you working and earning an income. Um, so ha- just keep it in mind. So timing can be important. Also refinancing. If you are in a, a home, have a home loan, you can refinance, maybe extend the loan term. This is an option against, again, not financial advice, just something to think about. Explore the options, see what that can do to your repayments if things are a little bit tight. Um, and then th- when things ease a little bit, that, that might be the time to really knuckle down and, and put some extra money back in to, to get back to where you were before. Again, it's an option. All these things worth doing before you get to a point of looking at your mortgage and saying, I don't know how we're going to pay that this month. I know when I had my daughter some years back now, she's 17 now, I got a fairly certain was six months. So my bank actually put my repayments on hold for six months. So and that's another example about when you have the mortgage before you have the heart, before you have the child, that there are more options. The other way around, I'm sure that they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have given you the line, perhaps. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> but once I had it, but also I had it for a few years, and and I had built equity up in that property as well. So you know, once again, I'm sure they looked at the LVR and things like that. But you know, coming to you're talking about the refinancing, extending the loan option. These are things that people can do down the track once their property's gone up in value, and and these are options that when you have a good property might present themselves to you. And another one too, just to alleviate some short term pain, might be to rent vest for a few years, live with the parents. Once again, easy to do before you have a child, or maybe if you do have a child, they'll love you to move in and they'll be that, those extra babysitters. Who knows? But, you know, sometimes we're just talking about a bit of a short-term pain here to make sure that your long-term gain, you know, long-term you're better off. That's what we're talking about here. Yep. Now, let's go into the fourth challenge, which is more listings don't necessarily mean cheaper prices. I know. All right. So, just because, um, uh, say, if it's uh, part of a cyclical market and we're coming into spring and traditionally spring selling season increases the number of properties that are available that doesn't mean that prices are going to start to go down because there's more available. It doesn't necessarily mean that what you're looking for is going to be more readily available. And it certainly doesn't mean that what's available is of good enough quality to purchase. That's one of the challenges that we as buyers agents face all the time. Um, often, you know, we might be starting to move into a downward cycle in terms of the property prices and 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 I don't get excited about it anymore. I have to say, then, you know, when I first started as a buyer's agent, I thought, excellent, we're going to have all these great buying opportunities, but actually the buying opportunities dried up and there were less buying opportunities in a falling market because people don't have the confidence to list their properties and they don't, they're going to get their price, right? So when more listings come on the market, sometimes that's actually a result of rising prices that people say, oh God, finally, I'm going to actually get the price I want, so I will list my home. And so that's the one of the sort of perverse um, things about a buyer's market versus a seller's market, that a buyer's market is actually still really hard to buy property. At a seller's market, Prices might be rising, but in a way, it's sort of easier in some ways for buyers because there's usually more stock around, but it, it, it's not often that prices fall and there's new listings, lots of listings to choose from, very rarely. 
Yeah. Now, how you can manage this challenge? Don't try to fight the market. A bit like what we said earlier, don't try and fight it. Don't try and anticipate that it will change in your direction and your favour. You have to actually really look at it and go, right, this is what I'm dealing with now. I have to get active and understand the rules of the game. I have to be prepared to engage with the players that are in the game right now and I have to be prepared to move myself forward. Now, that that absolutely doesn't mean rush, 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 buy anything that comes up and pay anything that you have to. That's not certainly not what we teach you in your first time buyer guide, but don't try and fight it. Don't be the one standing there waging a one-man war against the market saying, I'm going to wait until prices fall. (laughs) The sad thing is that people who wait till prices fall mostly miss out because even we, we can sense it when a market bottoms out. But honestly, there is it never comes up in the data until about three to six months later. And then we can all say, ah, there you go. We noticed that then. But at the time, it, it's it's impossible to tell. And what happens then, all of a sudden, everybody piles in the market at the same time. And that's actually what makes prices start to rise again. So don't think you can ride the market. It's really important just as, as me, as we both said, don't fight it. Be ready to move when you're ready. Yeah. And move quickly if you're ready. Yes. Yeah. Don't sit on those hands and think, oh, yeah, I really like that, but I'm oh, sure wait. something else is going to come up. <laughs> oh, if it's dear. good, you're financially ready and it fits your life, part of the part of your life that you're in and 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 that period forward that you're looking at um, for ownership of that property, don't fight it. No. Just move. And, you know, if if you are one of these overanalyzers, which we do get quite a lot of overanalyzers um, come to us, and great, we are the home of overanalyzers because we will give you all the information you need in the right order and then you can settle yourself down and go, yes, I have done all the I right analysis and I have control. And that's really, really important because if you're thinking, oh, Megan and Veronica, they're just a bit positive here, just a bit positive. They just want us to buy anything at any price. That is absolutely no. not what we're about. Yeah, that's and almost the opposite of what total opposite. encourage. Right. The fifth challenge, which is going to make it sound like we're encouraging this, but we'll get to what we'll prove that we're not in a moment, is borrowing more, right? When prices rise, or if you're going to try to buy sooner with a lesser deposit, uh, both of those both point to the same thing, which is that you have to have a bigger mortgage. And that is hel- uh, really scary. And just to quote from that report again, as prices continue to rise, potential homeowners may feel like they're given no choice but to take out a loan they're not comfortable repaying in order to get the home of their dreams. Home buyers who are able to clear the deposit hurdle and serviceability assessment must now budget a bigger portion of the income to housing costs amid higher house prices. So how can we manage this? That's really tough. Um, you know, we absolutely encourage people to buy the best asset that they can, that they can afford. You know, capital growth will allow you the option to refinance at a later date if you need to as the value in your property goes up. But if you buy a lower quality asset and it isn't even moving at the rate that the general market is in the area that you've purchased in, then you may find that you haven't got the ability to refinance that property because there isn't any equity in it. Or when it comes time to step up to the next property, everything's moved so far above you because the asset that you purchased hasn't moved at the same rate as the rest of the market. Yeah. And this does happen. 
You do not want to get trapped and stuck on that first sprung of the property ladder. So that, with that in mind, you've got to have the long term in mind when you buy. And that means buying the best possible property you can buy now. And if you do have to borrow more money, you think, okay, well, I don't, I, if I can avoid upgrading sooner rather than later, then I'm going to save transaction costs and I'm going to be more settled for longer. And there's a real case to put forward for that and something to really consider. Whereas a lot of first home buyers, and I did this when I first bought, I bought something small that felt safe and I outgrew it in what felt like seconds. And that was not a good outcome. And we actually have had some students that have done the course that have said the same thing. They bought something. They're not first-time buyers. They bought something. They realized that they bought the wrong thing because they were trying to keep their debt low. And really, in hindsight, what they told us and what you have said in previous um, episodes, Veronica, when you've shared your story is you could have comfortably afforded a better quality asset, but it felt more comfortable to keep that price low. It was just that it, it put you... It put you in the wrong asset for what you needed that property to do for you in the long term. Now, of course, if you are already stretched and working two jobs, we are not recommending that you borrow more than you can afford. That is not what we're talking about no, here. No, 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 no. Because you really need to know you've got some wriggle room. You know, if, thing, if, if, if interest rates go up again, for example, you need the wriggle room. You know, you, know, you, need, you don't want to be eating tuna every night. <laughs> Pink beans and tuna, tins of tuna. And, and certainly you, you can um, perhaps explore being a bit braver if you know your income is likely to improve in the short to medium term and that may be a career trajectory that is reasonably mapped out in, in some sort of format or way. Um, but certainly I wouldn't be, you know, the bank's not going to look at what you might earn down the track. They're going to look at, you know, your capacity to repay on your current income uh, not what you might earn if you get that promotion at the end of the year. But of course, if there are bonuses or commissions involved, then some banks will look at that um, favourably, some will ignore it. Each bank has a different way of, of looking at how that income contributes to your ability to repay the or your borrowing capacity and your ability to repay. Which is why you need a really good mortgage broker work with you on borrowing strategy and explain all of that. But it's also why, I mean, you've got to, every mortgage, every every first time, a first home buyer, when they first get a mortgage, always feels like this huge commitment and, and this ridiculous, you know, 30-year mortgage, give me a break. And just the, the sheer responsibility of those repayments always feels absolutely daunting. And so what we're saying to you, sometimes you have to sort of take a big gulp and move through that. Um, and really, when you, if you can look forward to your own earning capacity and know that you on, you're on a good wicket, you're actually on a good career path, and you know, and you, and you like your job as well. Let's face it: if you hate your job, then don't do this. Um, then take a little bit of a, you know, be a bit braver, be a bit braver, and push yourself harder if you're in that sort of situation. Always with the guidance of a good mortgage broker, though. Yeah, yeah, and keep that. Uh, keep in mind that interest rates will fall again. And at some point they will rise again. So that roller coaster is going to come and go of interest rate rise and falls. Absolutely. And you've probably heard me say before that when I bought my first property and I locked in half of my my mortgage at a rate of 9.85%, I thought I was absolutely so clever because I'd had friends that had 
interest rates in the double digits. So it's all relative, right? And, you know, at the moment I hate the fact I'm sitting what at five point whatever it is. I'm, I hate it, you know, absolutely hate it. But, you know, all that time back then, clearly, yes, granted, smaller mortgage, but um, it is all relative. We do get used to it. We do accommodate it and the market continues to go on. So, and that's the worst thing. If you just opt out and decide you're going to what you know wage your one person war against the property market, <laughs> you may wage your one person war against rising prices, rising interest rates, all that stuff. The, the market doesn't care about you. You know, you will get left behind, and we don't want you to get left behind. We want you to get a nice, secure home and a good first home that's going to give you all these options down the track. Yeah. Absolutely. Veronica, this this report was really interesting. We always encourage people to read these things and, and not just take the fear factor out of it, but to actually look at are there opportunities here and is it do I have to step back and go, no, I can't do this, it's too hard, there are too many risks, or are there things that you can look at with these risks and challenges and say, okay, I see that that is a challenge I have some options that I can explore here. And so we, we, what we wanted to do out of today was to, to get you to step back when you read some of these reports and some of these this media coverage and go, right, I see that there's some challenges here, but there are things that I can do to overcome it. I need to explore them more deeply. And keep the course. Quick note, if you've been thinking about doing your first home buy guide, which is the 10-step course that Megan and I have put together to help you buy your first home without making really avoidable mistakes, the course only costs $990, okay? And you get direct access to us to help guide you through the negotiations. Trust me, you will give the sales agent a hell of a lot more than $1,000 if you do not know what you're doing. So I just want to put that in context for you. If you're thinking about doing the course, it is worth it, not just because we say it's worth it, but because we know that our students have been saving well in excess of that in their negotiations. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first-home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first-home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.